Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every week at the same time as we uh, teach the Word of God that we believe God's put on our heart to do. What our, our, our assignment is, we're staying in our lane. Uh, we've been teaching a series now for several months on the book of Romans, and we've been kind of going through this to unpack it. You know what's amazing to me is the Word of God is so, so full that it's almost inexhaustible. And when you talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ, it seems like the more you dig around in this, the bigger it gets on you. But we just are really enjoying the fact that, especially with television, I can take a line upon line, uh, you know, precept upon precept, book by book, and, and sometimes un unpack it chapter by chapter and almost verse by verse. And uh, we, you know, uh, because we not only air it on TV, but on our YouTube channel and on our podcast, we're able to reach a multitude of people that uh, can listen to it or watch it or hear it at their leisure. And uh, I, I encourage you, I know there are several churches that use our these programs and our YouTube stuff, especially in like a midweek service or a small group service to be able to listen to like a 30-minute segment of this and then have some dialogue about it. I'm not telling you you have to see everything like I do, but I do encourage you uh, to get in the Word and think about some things. And I think the truth is, is that we're, we're really coming to a clearer and clearer understanding about how to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth does not necessarily mean you know Greek and Hebrew. It means that you know how to divide what is truth in relationship to the Old Covenant and what is true in relationship to the New. And Paul is laying down this incredible treatise of New Covenant realities as he begins in Romans 1 through 3 with the diagnosis of the human condition, if you will, the indictment. Because Romans 1, 2, and 3, he indicts everything and everybody and concludes all under sin so he can have mercy on all. In chapter 4, he begins to deal with the deliverance from that condition, and he declares, just like with Abraham, it happens by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And then we come into the fifth chapter of Romans, and he starts to show how that uh, there's a one-man plan, basically. He begins to declare and break this down as he takes it back, not just to Moses and to uh, the Jewish nation, but he goes clear back to Adam when he talks about there's two men. Uh, the first man was of the earth. He was earthy. And the second man is the Lord from heaven. And the reality of it is what he deals with in Romans 5 is it was by one man sin entered the world, and it was by another man that we were delivered from it. So he says in Romans 5, I love this from the Message Bible. He said, so here it is in a nutshell. I love that. One man did it wrong, and God is in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, He got us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on. 
So he's talking about not just being out of trouble. A lot of people are happy that they're not under the judgment of God, and that's something to be happy about. We're not in trouble anymore. God is not mad with us. We've been reconciled by the death of His Son. Here's where the big arguments come, is that people say, well, you, you know, uh, you know uh, re- see, reconciliation and salvation to me are... are what, here, let me just explain it like this. He said, uh, you know, uh, we were reconciled by the death of His Son, but were saved by His life. So all men were reconciled by the death of Jesus. In other words, God balanced the ledger, so there's nothing that He has that's holding against. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself by not counting men's sin against them. But here's the, the, the rest of the story. Then once you understand that, you can stop being an alien from God and an alien from the life of God, and you can be reconciled back to God and have relationship with Him. So just because the ledger, just be, let me say it again. He says, one man did it wrong, that's Adam. God is in all this trouble with sin and death. And another man did it right and got us out of it. That's Jesus and the work of the cross. But more than just get us out of trouble, He got us into a life. See, the gospel is, 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 see, even the dealing of sin is not just so you can get to go to heaven one of these days, but it's so that you can get heaven to operate in you right now, His kingdom coming, and you being a part of His ongoing uh, new creation project as we are to bear His image and to be image bearers, not just make it to heaven someday, but to release in the earth the kingdom as we become the portals or the windows and the gates of heaven that release in the earth heaven's government, heaven's influence, and heaven's you know uh, 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 resources. I think it's pretty incredible as we come in then to chapter six that he starts talking about water baptism. And what happens in water baptism is we are buried with Him in the likeness of His death so that we can be raised in the likeness of His resurrection. And the whole paradigm here is that water baptism is a picture of, uh, of, 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 of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's also, you know, I was listening uh, uh, to somebody the other day that was teaching, they were talking about how, why did, you know, never thought about this before, but why did John the Baptist just all of a sudden decide to baptize. They weren't doing that in the Old Testament. They weren't baptizing people. But what, the reason John the Baptist was doing that, because it was the signal of a new exodus. And, uh, you know, they came out of Egypt. They came through the waters of the Red Sea. And the Scripture says in the New Testament, they were baptized into Moses and into the sea. In the New Covenant, were baptized into Christ. That's Romans 6. Then you see also them cross the Jordan River. So they're baptized again in the Jordan, and they cross over into the Promised Land. It's it's not an accident that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, probably at the same location that they crossed over into the Promised Land, signaling that they've come to the end of this exodus, and now it's time to come into their promise. And one of the reasons I believe that they very possibly could be at the same location that they crossed over into Jericho in the Old Testament is you've got Moses relinquishing his leadership to Yeshua, Joshua. The word Joshua is the Hebrew name Jesus. So here we come to the end of the Old Covenant, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, and they're crossing over 
this time uh, to, to a, a different Yeshua. Jesus is leading them into the promise. Moses brought you out with a rod. Jesus is going to bring you in with the mercy seat. And so the reason I kind of believe that, that they crossed over at that location is that God told Joshua, He said, tonight, get 12 stones out of the bottom of the river and stack them on uh, the other side of the river, because one day your children are going to ask you, what does this memorial, this pile of rocks mean? And he's going to tell them, he said, then you're going to tell your children that the God of all the earth, that when you see a priest carry the ark in the river Jordan, you're going to know it's time to cross over. Well, John the Baptist is probably at that same location baptizing the new Joshua, the new leader who's going to bring you in. He's about to baptize him in the Jordan River, and he looks up over the bank of the Jordan River, and he sees that pile of rocks. And in Matthew chapter 3, he says, God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. I submit to you it's highly possible that he was pointing at that pile of memorial rocks that they'd drawn out hundreds of years prior to this. But here's what I think is incredible, is that when Moses comes, uh, when they come across, uh, first of all, they come out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, they're baptized into the sea, they come up out of the waters of the Red Sea, and Moses goes into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I think this is incredible. But when Jesus comes up out of the Jordan River, He goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. But when Moses comes up out of the water and goes into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, he comes down with 10 commandments. When Jesus comes out of the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights, he comes out with the constitution of the kingdom called the Beatitudes. Because the Beatitudes are attitudes you need to be in that bring God's new creation world into yours. And so this really, the gospel here where he's talking about this baptism is not just so you can get to heaven, it's so that heaven can get through you into the earth and all around you. His kingdom is coming. His will is being done in the earth. And Jesus, when he declared to the Pharisees, the kingdom does not come with observation. He's not saying you can't see it. He's saying it doesn't come through the observances of old covenant rituals, but the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, that one was written on stone tablets. This one is written in your heart. And so as we come through Romans the sixth chapter, we see that our old man was crucified with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, as Romans 6 will declare. And then he opens by saying in Romans 7, this is where we're going again today. We've already done one segment on this. He says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those that know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband uh, as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she's married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress though she's married to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead, watch this, dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So he's telling you in Romans 7, you're torn between two lovers. You're still, if, 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 and, and, and see, here's the deal. The fourth verse is key because the fourth verse tells you that the second husband is none other than him who was raised from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying in this chapter, you're not going to get married to him. 
you're already married to him. And if you're not married to him, it is illegal to be intimate. But if you are married to him, then you can produce fruit to God. See, I think that's the, 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 one of the drawbacks even, I think, of bad eschatology is because we're always waiting on somewhere in the future for the wedding of the bride or the, the, the bride, the lamb's wife. But the truth of it is, is that the new covenant is your marriage certificate. And according to Romans 5 or 7 verse 4, we should be married to him who was raised from the dead. Ah, man, I just get excited when I start to talk about this. I really believe that the cross is a powerful picture of His espousal. Because on Calvary's cross, you know, you've heard me say a lot of this, but I think it's worth repeating, connecting dots, even when I'm in these kind of context. But when, when Jesus is in His redemptive work, everything He does is in a garden. It is a repeat. In other words, old creation, Adam and Eve lived in a garden, and they were husband and wife, and then they got kicked out of that garden, and Eve was deceived and seduced, and of course you know that they are kicked out of the garden. And I can kind of see God look down from heaven and probably uh, say to the angels, when he looks at Adam, who's about to take the, uh, I know it wasn't a physical apple, but eat from the fruit that his, uh, that Eve was about to offer him. I can hear God look and see when this, this woman is handing Adam the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I hear God say, he's going to leave us. He's going to leave us. And he's going to, see, Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. He sinned, he did it willfully. He was not, the woman was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. And I think God looked and said, He's going to leave us. And probably the question ringing throughout the quarters of glory is, how do you know He's going to leave us? And God's response would have probably been, it's because it's what I would do. I would leave the splendors of heaven to go be joined to my bride too, especially since he was under a mandate that said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. Except, here's what I want you to hear clearly. The first man, Adam, did it out of rebellion. He left heaven and was joined to his wife out of rebellion. But fast forward to the cross. The last Adam, God himself, was about to leave heaven and be joined to his bride, but this time it wasn't out of disobedience, This time it was out of obedience. He became obedient to the death of the cross, and through his death he put an end to who we were in Adam so that we could be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. We were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And I believe it also was the end of that covenant with Israel where he is now free to be married to another. She is free to be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. I don't think it's an accident, and you've heard me say this before, but Adam has a garden. He turns it into a graveyard. Jesus takes a graveyard, turns it into a garden. When he gets up from the tomb, uh, the, uh, 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 Mary says to Jesus in the garden, Sir, I thought you were the gardener. He, in fact, was the gardener, and Mary was a picture of Eve. It's a picture of their uh, coming back together and the, the bride and the groom meeting each other. Now, let me say this as well. Uh, everything Jesus does in His redemptive work, Adam has access to a tree of life. He chooses a tree of death. 
Jesus chooses a tree of death, turns it into a tree of life. Adam is cursed with you will earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Jesus prays in a garden until he sweats. He sweats until he bleeds, because if he bleeds and sweat touches a cursed earth, it will put the curse in reverse that says you must earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. And then he's hanging on a cross, and below his cross there is a woman, probably Mary Magdalene, who was the first one he ever uh, literally uh, you know, delivered her, was one of the first miracles that he did was he brought deliverance to Mary Magdalene. Uh, and so when he, when he, there's a woman below the cross. But here's the incredible thing. In Genesis, God causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He opens the side of Adam, and out of Adam's side comes blood and water. Oh, I'm sorry, out of Adam's side. He opens Adam's side. He takes a rib out of Adam, and he brings to him a woman. I've got ahead of myself there. On Calvary's cross, the last Adam, the spear of a Roman soldier opens his side. See, do you see the comparison? In, the, in, in, in Genesis, the side of Adam is opened. A rib is taken, a woman is brought to him. On the cross, the side of Jesus is opened by the spear of a Roman soldier, and the blood and the water that spilled from his side was to bring his bride to him. Because Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might present her to himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. That's not something he's going to do. That's something he's already done, is he's presented us to himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing, so that we can truly draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, because it's the blood and the water and the washing of the water by the Word that purges us and cleanses us. Oh, I get excited about this stuff, so that we can be married to another. And I think, see, what happens is, as we've been so uh, taught that we're worthless and no good and how bad we are, until we constantly are, you know, kind of trying to avoid relationship with Him, because it's almost like we viewed it as a, uh, you know, as a abusive relationship. But once again, He's talking about the death of the first man, and the first man, Adam, the covenant that kept you married to him was the old covenant, was given to the old man to try to modify the behavior of an old man, but the new covenant is given to a new man and a new creation to create a, an environment of covenant where we can have relationship with him. I can't help but think, you know, when I did a teaching, and probably one of these days I'm going to come back and teach the Song of Solomon on the program, but when the Lord opened the Song of Solomon to me, it really was through a few verses in the first chapter of the Song of Solomon, when, you know, the woman in the Song of Solomon, she says, man, I'm as black as the curtains of Kedar. The sun has looked upon me. My mother's children are angry with me. They made me keepers of the vineyards, and my own vineyard have I not kept. Her feeling about herself was, why would the king even be interested in me? I'm as black as the curtains of Kedar. The sun has looked upon me. What she's saying there is not so much about her ethnic color of her skin. She's talking about, why would the king be interested in me? I'm just a working class girl, a field hand, 
when the sun has looked upon me and my skin is dark and I'm as black as the curtains of Kedar because I'm a working class girl and I'm not worthy of the king to be even interested in me. Why would the king look at me? And the reason she felt that way was because she had not kept her own vineyard. She did not know what Jesus had done in a garden to bring her back to Him in relationship. And so as he goes on further in that chapter, chapter number one, the king begins to draw her. He begins to woo her. And he says this to her. And this is so powerful because it revolutionized my life and opened the Song of Solomon to me. But in chapter one, he looks at this girl, this little Shulamite girl who thinks she's not worthy. I mean, you talk about a divine romance. She thinks she's not worthy. I'm not, you know, and I think people struggle with this everywhere because we've been taught how bad we are and what's wrong with us and all of our spots and wrinkles. But the king looks at her and says, Thou art all fair, my love, my dove. There is no spot in thee. He says that to this girl. The, the first time the Lord opened that text to me, he spoke it to me. He said, Thou art all fair, my love, my dove. There is no spot in thee. And I said, Lord, I don't believe that. I know all my spots. And the Lord said to me, I know you don't believe it. That's why you're acting like you've got spots. But let me take you to the mountain of myrrh. Let me take you to the hill of frankincense, chapter 2 and 3 of the Song of Solomon. And let me show you at the place of suffering where I got rid of your spots and your wrinkles and your blemishes. Because when the blood and water spilled from my side, I presented you to myself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. And you are now free to be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, so that you can bring forth fruit unto God. It is out of intimacy that fruit bearing takes place. And I like to liken this to, I uh, see, when we feel this way about ourselves, he's trying to show you that your first husband, Adam, is dead. You are no longer in relationship with that sin man or that sin nature or that old covenant that keeps you bound to it. We're going to see as we get down through here that the motions of sin are actually by the law. It keeps you bound to it. And so as I began to kind of look at this, I was thinking how, you know, if you would, let's say you, you want to plan a romantic evening with your, 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 your gorgeous bride. And, uh, you know, she has bought a particularly nice uh, outfit, and she's kind of really put her makeup on, and she has uh, done her hair, and she is just absolutely... Uh, you know, dolled up. She's, she, she, she's, she's looking for a night of romance. She walks out of your, uh, let's say she walks out of your bedroom to present herself to you. And when you see her walk out of that bedroom, dressed to the hilt, makeup on, I mean, just drop dead, gorgeous in her mind, let's say she's, she's put all this effort into it, making herself looking good, and you look at her and say, is that a pimple on your face? Boy, does your breath stink. Is that, a, is, that a, is that a spot on your dress? Well, if you say that to her and you point that out, that's probably the last time you're going to see her in that outfit, all dressed up, you know, and, and looking good. Because what you've done is you've killed the mood. And see, that's what we've done in the American church is that every time that God's people, His bride, start to draw near 
and we are looking for love and romance, we point out their bad breath, their spotted dress, the sin in their life, all the stuff they did wrong. You're complaining about their food, their cooking, yada, yada, yada. And after a while, you, you stop trying and you try to resist and avoid that kind of a relationship. Let me tell you, that's what Romans 7 is trying to remedy. It's trying to get you to move away from a paradigm that makes you constantly see that you're still bound to that old creation man, that he, that he in fact, through Calvary's cross, has brought you to a place of a spousal and marriage and the consummation. I believe that in detail could, could literally be connected to Revelation chapter 21 when he says uh, in Revelation 21, right upon the heels of the destruction of the harlot city, the adulterous woman who has kind of gone back up under the law to have a fling with the old covenant. That's what the, Babylon to me, I, I shared it before in the segment prior to this, that Babylon is a picture of old covenant Jerusalem. And she, the moment she's judged and the armies of the Romans come and destroy uh, great Babylon, that he says, you know, just to draw attention, Jesus said in Matthew 23, that upon you, will come upon this generation, will come all the blood of, of the martyrs from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. He says that Matthew 23 to Jerusalem. And the book of Revelation 17 and 18 said, In her was found the blood of all that were slain on the earth. It is that apostate city, the covenant-breaking city, that refuses to be married to another. And the moment she doesn't receive her king, her bride, her new husband, she, she is literally, the Romans trod the city underfoot. But the moment great Babylon falls, he said, Hallelujah. Now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God. And his bride has made herself ready. We are married to Him, and because we are married to Him, we have a right to legal intimacy, and that it is out of those intimate moments with Him that this divine romance begins to unfold. And you know, you see again that all the way through the Song of Solomon, He's trying to reaffirm to her what she is to Him so that she can stop running from Him and start running to Him. And see, that's the whole point of preaching new covenant and grace, is you are not in trouble. He is not mad at you. He is mad about you. And the moment you find out that His thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and to bring you to a determined end, that God is head over heels in love with you, you will begin to find a place of intimacy with Him where you can uh, bring fruit, uh, bring forth fruit unto God. And when you start, listen, uh, you know, you could draw on the chalkboard what it takes to have a baby, but it doesn't take any, you, you can know how to have a baby and never have one. You can know all the formulas, you can know all the, 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 the biological terms and draw it on it and know it inside and out. But you don't have to know how to have a baby to have one. You just need to understand that when you get intimate with Him, it's almost impossible not to. In other words, fruit is a result of the relationship you have with Him. Enter into that today because He's drawing you 
run after Him. We're about to run out of time. I trust you've enjoyed this. Listen, we do need your help to stay on the air. It takes your faithful partnership to do that. If you'd like to sow into the ministry, you can scan the QR code there, take you directly to a link where you can give via credit card or PayPal, or the address on the screen will take you to our website where you can give a one-time donation, or you can set up a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner. We do need partners, and we need your help. You can send a check or money order to the number on the screen, or you can call the number and someone will take your credit card over the phone. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.